ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. China is president of the UN Security Council this month. What do they have planned as they take their turn at the helm? That's this week on Foreign Policy Playlist. I'm your host, Laura Ross-Brautellum, and for today's show, we want to feature an episode of Unscripted, a past blue podcast. Each month, reporters Casey Candela and Demi Lola Banjo take listeners behind the scenes of the United Nations. Their latest episode is really interesting, with China taking over as Security Council president in August. The fine line between maintaining a relationship with Russia and the West remains up in the air. I spoke with host Casey Candela about the episode. She was recovering from COVID, so her voice sounds a little different from usual. We also talked the same day that U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was visiting Taiwan, which sparked Chinese military drills afterwards. Here's our conversation. Hi, my name is Casey Candela. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Unscripted. Tell me about Unscripted for folks who aren't familiar with the podcast. We cover the president of the Security Council every month. So our show typically sits down with the ambassador, someone from their mission, as well as an expert on their country's foreign policy. Usually when a country assumes the presidency of the Security Council, they have three signature programs that reflect broadly their foreign policy goals. Sometimes they include small flourishes like The last time France was president, they insisted on conducting the council meetings in French. Usually they're conducted in English. This month, China is the president and they're insisting that none of the men will wear ties and they're giving out, you know, Chinese fans to kind of help the diplomats cool down during the month of August. So tell me, what's been one of the biggest opportunities and one of the biggest challenges in covering the UN? So... There's a phrase I really love about diplomacy, that politics is loud and diplomacy is quiet. And, you know, there are amazing journalists covering the UN every single day, but at least in America, it doesn't really receive attention from the mainstream publications and cable news channels unless, you know, something really big is happening there. And I've noticed that diplomats are a little bit different than politicians. It's almost like they want to just do their jobs, keep their heads down, and they don't want to have to deal with press, especially countries that aren't used to dealing with American press and the way we do freedom of the press here. Sometimes we've encountered some pushback from missions about the things that we publish on the show and, you know, the experts that we have that push back on whatever the ambassador's talking points are. So that has been a major challenge, but one that we've become pretty skilled at dealing with. 
Yeah, I empathize with what you're doing also because I produce a show here at Foreign Policy called The Negotiators. And I have to say, out of all the shows that I produce, it's the hardest one for me to book people for. So the only way I've been able to get around that, well, first of all, is a live begging. But then second, <laughs> but then second of all is I'm not all the time, but I'm usually talking to people once the negotiations are far enough in the past that they feel comfortable to talk about them. So anyway, I can empathize with what you're doing when you're really trying to cover stuff that's in the current moment at the UN. That's super hard. Right. And then, you know, a couple de- decades after the negotiation, they'll make an HBO movie about it. Like in the moment, it can it can be pretty tough to, to get people candid. Yeah. So what are some of the ways you deal with that? We will have one ambassador or a deputy ambassador or a political coordinator, someone from the mission, if they're willing to speak. Sometimes they're not. um, And we just have to rely on their press briefing, as we did this month with China. And then we'll also have an expert. You know, in the beginning, we didn't always have an expert. And that was tough because countries do put their own spin on things, especially if they have human rights issues in their country. And the expert is really meant to kind of balance it out and give the listener, you know, the the perspective of the country's government, as well as an expert who can speak more candidly about the country's foreign policy goals and things like that. Yeah, I have to say it's pretty intense that your episode is about China and its presidency over the Security Council this month. And I'm actually talking to you just as Nancy Pelosi is leaving Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, how does that feel? Like, that must be really such a weird juxtaposition of China. Obviously, he's not talking about that at the UN and people aren't pressing them at the UN. Actually, your expert in the episode got into a lot of why, you know, obviously Taiwan is just not something people talk about. It made an imprint on me as I was listening to the episode and just how weird that was. Yes, it is weird because you would think that every major foreign policy conflict that is happening would come up at the UN, but that's just not the case. As our expert Richard Gowan talks about, you know, there are certain topics that certain countries would prefer to discuss at the UN or have to be discussed at the UN because they just aren't being discussed anywhere else, and other things that countries would prefer to deal with bilaterally. I mean, do you think that just makes the UN basically most of the time ineffective? This is a frequent criticism of the UN. (laughs) Um, No, I believe that it's absolutely better to have these channels of communication open. For better or worse, the Russian ambassador has to sit in this room and the Chinese ambassador has to sit in this room with the other country's ambassadors. These are just people at the end of the day. Like the ambassadors know each other. They have each other over for dinner. They have a WhatsApp group chat where they wish each other happy birthday and send pictures of their kids or their grandkids when they're born. Like they are people and they work together. They're work colleagues. So even if Taiwan isn't coming up in a public meeting at the Security Council, it is very important to have that dialogue and the UN serves that purpose. That was Casey Candela, and now here's this month's episode of Unscripted, China's keeping cool in the Security Council. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I am Damilola Banjo. Welcome to Unscripted. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats. On today's show, 
We talk about China's Security Council presidency in August and how China is navigating the fine lines of maintaining its closeness to Russia while keeping peace with the West, but as a permanent member of the Council and beyond that chamber. We also talk about China's human rights issues and territorial claims in the South China Sea with our guest, Richard Gowen, the UN Director to the International Crisis Group, a non-profit. This month, Ambassador Zhang Jun of China leads the council for a third time during his tenure at the UN. He also led the chamber in 2020 and 2021. His catchphrase during the press briefing on Monday, August 1st was, Dialogue and Cooperation. He said the UN needs to look back at its founding principle of, quote, common security. So China is hosting a signature event on cooperation and common security. The meeting comes amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine, along with other violent conflicts around the world, particularly involving non-state militias. The first priority will be facilitating dialogue and cooperation for common security. We all know that the world is facing with many, many challenges. Achieving common security for all is the founding mission of the Security Council. It's also a regular topic here in the United Nations. So uh, at this moment, with the changing world situation and uh, security challenges, it's highly relevant for the Security Council to revisit this issue. So the Council must reaffirm its mission of maintaining common security and fulfill its due responsibilities. So therefore, China has proposed to hold a briefing on August the 22nd uh, on the theme of maintenance of international peace and security, calling promote common security through dialogue and cooperation. Let me repeat, promote common security through dialogue and cooperation. We hope parties will deeply reflect on questions such as what kind of international security do we really need? How can we get out of the conflicts we are eyewitnessing in today's world? And how to avoid the larger security disasters under the current situation? And what kind of better role we can expect from the United Nations? Now, through such uh, discussions, we hope we can forge some basic consensus on this uh, important issue. Gowan anticipates that China's plan for its council presidency this month will be, quote, light. This is because August is the council's informal vacation period. We have to note that it is August, and we should be realistic because whoever is the president of the Security Council in August has to have modest expectations about what they can achieve. And that is simply because diplomats go on holiday too. And the UN community uh, tends to head out of town in August. And so China has actually set out a pretty modest program of work for the next month. It isn't holding a lot of debates. It isn't bringing high-level political figures in 
for this Security Council presidency. And that's actually quite an interesting contrast to last year when China held the council presidency in May. And in May last year, the Chinese had a very, very packed program of work. They held lots of debates about the nature of multilateralism. They were clearly trying to sort of show that they could be leaders at the UN. This year, they're being a bit more sensitive to, I think, other diplomats' vacation needs. And we've only got sort of two thematic debates, one on peace and security in Africa, and then one on a rather vague theme about common security through dialogue and cooperation. And I understand that even those debates are going to be relatively low key. So China has tempered its ambitions, I think, just because of the time of year. In the first two decades of the 21st century, China issued roughly $150 billion in bilateral loans to African countries. China says it's concerned about the economic effects of global tensions on the continent, what Ambassador Zhang calls the butterfly effect. This will be the focus of China's second signature event this month, called Peace and Security, Strengthening Capacity Building in Africa. The event will be an open debate in the Security Council. We all know that many African countries are facing many crises such as COVID-19 pandemic, war and conflict, climate change, energy and food crisis. I have uh, just talked with the Secretary General. He is very much concerned about the spillovers suffered by developing countries at this moment. So uh, we can see that for developing countries, for African countries, the uh, years of development gains and hard-won peace are in danger of being swept away by the current crisis of the world. In recent years, uh, African countries have been the main victims to the butterf- uh, butterfly effect of world economic cycle, global risks, and geopolitics, geoconflicts outside the region. So uh, against the, such a backdrop, uh, we are all saying we are helping African countries, but in what way we can help African countries So uh, uh, in our view, uh, we must uh, go beyond humanitarian aid and focus on economic development. We must go beyond short-term assistance and seek long-term investment and long-term solutions in Africa. And we must uh, go beyond blood transfusion and enhance their own blood-making function. And the call for that is to promote capacity uh, building, strengthen capacity building in African countries. So for that purpose, China has proposed an open briefing on the uh, August 8th on the theme of peace and security in Africa, uh, calling capacity building for sustaining peace. And the aim is to help all parties better understand the difficulties, the challenges facing the African continent, and also to adopt measures in addressing the root causes in the African continent to make sure that uh, we can really provide targeted support uh, for the peace and the development of the African continent. You're listening to Foreign Policy Playlist. We'll be right back. 
My name's Kurt Jaimungo, and this is the Theories of Everything podcast. The show where we bring rigor to mathematics, physics, and consciousness. Exploring grand unified theories, as well as free will and God. Even exploring aliens with former CIA Lou Elizondo. Heated debates on metaphysics with Kastrup and Verveke. Imagine you are an organism that spans a galaxy. How does the universe look to you? Type in Theories of Everything on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all platforms. China's third focus for the month is on strengthening mediation effort for the political settlement of hotspot issues. But none of the hotspot issues in Asia were mentioned on Ambassador Zhang's list. It did refer to Afghanistan in the context of food insecurity and took many questions from reporters on U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. And the third priority for presidency is to strengthening mediation efforts for the political settlement of hotspot issues. If you look at the program of work, it looks like uh, it's a relatively light one. But uh, frankly speaking, many uh, situations are still going on. And on those issues we are going to deliberate in August, uh, you can also find some of them are also at a critical uh, stage. The truth in Yemen is to expire. We need to extend the truth, and we are working on that in a tireless effort. And uncertainties remain in Libya. And in the Middle East, uh, the uh, situation might further deteriorate. And the situation, uh, the violence in Haiti is still escalating. And of course, the Ukraine crisis is still uh, going on there. So all these issues require the Security Council uh, to make good use of its uh, toolbox and play its proper role in light of the specific conditions of each conflict and each country. China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims is a topic that always puts Beijing on the defensive. The Uyghurs are an ethnic minority group under severe repression in the Xinjiang province of China. Their treatment did not come up at Ambassador Zhang's media briefing, but the ambassador could soon have to answer questions about it. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, may publish a long-awaited report on the topic this month. This may also increase tensions in the council between Beijing and the West. Something that is very striking is that while China is very happy to talk about international development at the UN, it's very happy to talk about the Belt and Road in UN forums, it's very sensitive and very nervous about criticism of its own human rights policies. And Chinese diplomats respond extremely negatively and sometimes angrily when other countries such as the Europeans, uh, raised the Uyghur issue in UN forums. And this has become a real point of contention in the General Assembly, in the Human Rights Council, and even sometimes in the Security Council over the last three or four years, because Western countries do keep on challenging the Chinese over the Uyghur issue. Now, Michel Bachelet went to Beijing this year, 
and gave a very low-key performance, tried to avoid offending Beijing during her visit. But the big question that is looming now in New York is whether Bachelet is going to release a report that has been in draft for some time by UN human rights officials on the treatment of the Uyghurs. And there are reports, there are news stories that the Chinese are lobbying the UN to decide not to release this report. It's clearly still a source of worry to Beijing that the report could come out and could be pretty critical. And this is something which could come up in August, actually, uh, by coincidence, that the UN could put this report out and it could be a source of serious embarrassment to Beijing if it is highly critical of its of its policies um, towards the, uh, the Uyghur minority. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. The Russia-Ukraine war is another diplomatic sticking point for Beijing's relationship with the West in the Council. One resolution about Moscow's action in Ukraine have been brought to the Council or General Assembly. Beijing has abstained from or voted in support of Russia. China also refers to the war as the Ukraine crisis. It hardly came up during Ambassador Zheng's media briefing. China is diplomatically towing the line on Russia's invasion, seemingly to show that it is not party to Putin's aggression in Ukraine. The Chinese and Russians continue to see each other as having a shared interest in limiting U.S. global influence and also pushing back against U.S.-led alliances uh, like NATO. And what we've been hearing from Chinese officials in the Security Council this year is a lot of criticism of NATO, a lot of criticisms of US sanctions policy. And Beijing has rather framed its attitude to what is happening in Ukraine in terms of these broader complaints about America's global role. China has walked a fine line at the UN in its response to Russia's war on Ukraine. And I think this is an important contextual point with reference to China's presidency of the Security Council. In it, overall, out in the real world, China has clearly been offering Russia quite a lot of tacit backing in the war. But in New York, the Chinese have not wanted to be seen as accomplices to Russia's aggression. And actually, China has abstained on 
lots of resolutions tabled by the US or tabled by Ukraine and its allies condemning Russia's behavior in the Security Council, in the General Assembly, and in the Human Rights Council. The Chinese have avoided taking a position over this war. And Western diplomats say, well, that isn't good enough. China should be out there defending the principles of sovereignty that it normally prioritizes. China should be out there condemning the Russians. But actually, I think the Chinese have been sending a, a sort of nuanced message in the UN that they're not going to desert the Russians, but equally, they're not going to offer Russia fully fledged backing for its military actions at, at the UN. And you know, privately, actually, US officials and others think that this is not a bad outcome, that it, you know, it's avoided a situation where China and Russia align completely. And so the Chinese are sort of walking a fine line over Ukraine. We're also hearing that they're actually being quite helpful to Western members of the Security Council and other members of the Security Council when it comes to keeping business going uh, on issues other than Ukraine. China has at different times had quiet conversations with the Russians about the need to avoid diplomatic breakdowns in the Security Council over issues like Afghanistan. Chinese diplomats are saying to a lot of their counterparts from elected council members that they see it as a priority to, to show that the Security Council is still functioning, to show that the Security Council is not falling apart. And so, although China is stuck in a, overall, I think, pretty negative relations with the US and other Western powers at the UN now, this is a slightly hopeful tendency that actually it does seem that Beijing wants to keep the UN open as a channel for cooperation on a lot of files other than Ukraine. And that may also be one reason why they've decided to have a pretty low-key presidency, uh, because the Chinese have to recognize that if they held lots of high-profile debates on issues of war and peace at the UN this August, every one of those debates would degenerate into an argument over Ukraine very, very quickly. And this is what we've seen all through the year at the UN, which is you know, lots and lots of thematic discussions of many different issues, whether it's women, peace and security or other thematic files, have degenerated into arguments over Ukraine and become pretty painful pretty quickly. And so maybe the Chinese just decided that the best way to keep everyone in the Security Council more or less happy was to minimize the number of debates and avoid any unnecessary blow-ups. Gowan says China is eager to prove that it can provide an alternative form of global leadership to Washington's style and that China has developed its own policies in resolving disputes with its neighbors. For example, Beijing has ignored international legal rulings on its seizure of territory in South China Sea. Gowan says the countries affected by China's ambition in the region, like the Philippines and Vietnam, prefer bilateral discussion with China over UN Security Council resolutions mandating certain behavior. It's worth noting that there is one Asian security issue which is very high on the Security Council agenda, which is uh, the North Korean nuclear program. And that is a source of contention, as well as some cooperation uh, in the Security Council. But while the Council talks about the Korean situation, 
it's really notable that it doesn't now talk about the majority of other security and strategic questions on China's periphery. So the Security Council doesn't talk about the South China Sea. It doesn't talk about Taiwan. It doesn't talk about the clashes that we've seen between India and China uh, in, in the Himalayas. And I think that the reason the council is silent on that is that there's an understanding that Beijing would inevitably block any Security Council action on any of these issues. And there's a feeling amongst many other members of the Security Council that it's best to try and resolve those issues through other channels. Even the US, which has you know, frequently criticized China for its breaking international law and international conventions in the South China Sea on maritime law, doesn't press these issues in the Security Council. I think that the US thinks that it's better to try and deal with security questions in Southeast Asia through other forums and through working with the Southeast Asian countries themselves, rather than bringing it to the UN. Similarly, you know, India is on the council now, but India doesn't want to get the Security Council involved in mediating questions about its Himalayan border with China. Vietnam was on the Security Council uh, very recently, but avoided raising any public criticisms of Chinese behavior in the South China Sea. Uh, you know, for a lot of Asian countries, it's it's simply best to deal with these issues bilaterally or regionally rather than through the UN. Whether it is the rights of the Tibetans, the democratic independence of Hong Kong, the future of an independent Taiwan, or the freedom and human rights of the Uyghurs, one thing is clear. None of these controversies are likely to make it into the Security Council debates in August. The reason, as Gowan puts it, is that many countries in the council have intimate economic ties with Beijing. You know, many members of the UN, and from all the regional groupings in the UN, now have very intimate economic ties with China. And China has gained an enormous amount of economic influence and with it political influence in Africa, for example. And so for countries that value their economic ties and value their trade ties with Beijing, it's simply not wise to alienate the Chinese by raising the Uyghur issue in New York. And so I think everyone is relatively cautious about this. And even some Western countries, such as France, have actually been quite cautious about pressing too hard on the Uyghur question here, because they think that it will alienate the Chinese, and they think that it will drive the Chinese closer to Russia, and they think that it won't actually have very much real-world impact on how the Uyghurs are, are treated. The other thing to say is that the Chinese do now present themselves very much as alternative leaders in the UN system to the US. And the Chinese themselves have also pointed out that the US has human rights problems of its own. This is something that came very much into focus in discussions in New York and, and Geneva in 2020 during the Black, Black Lives Matter moment. Because the Chinese said, well, look, if you're going to question us about our treatment of the Uyghurs, you should be passing resolutions about the uh, US treatment of African Americans. And so you know, China has sort of been pushing back with a narrative of its own, which may or may not be justified, but uh, it certainly does have some influence in New York. 
that actually the US has huge human rights problems too, and China shouldn't be singled out for condemnation and criticism. On a lighter note, if you're going to the Security Council chamber this month, please wear something cool. Ambassador Zhang says the air conditioning will be taking a vacation. The ambassador brought a Chinese fan to help his colleagues do just that. He's also promoting a ditch the tie look for August. We definitely uh, need to cool down the global uh, temperature. As you have uh, all seen, heat waves are sweeping the, uh, across the northern hemisphere and we are really feeling the impact of global warming or global heat. And meanwhile, uh, looking around the world, and international tensions are also high, and we also need to cool down the various situations. And the, uh, the working temperature of Security Council members is also high, and we also need to advise Security Council members to be cool-headed in seeking diplomatic solutions uh, to various uh, issues through uh, rational dialogue. For that purpose, I have, you know, uh, it's the practice uh, for each presidency to prepare some small souvenirs. What I have prepared for Security Council PR colleagues is a Chinese fan, and I have it here. Hey, just a quick note before we wrap things up here. I'm actually going to be away for the next month. Thankfully, you're going to be in good hands. FP Editor-in-Chief Ravi Agrawal has an amazing lineup of guests on FP Live this month. I'm actually kind of jealous. So you'll get to hear audio versions of those conversations right here. FP Live is usually only available to FP subscribers. So enjoy all that. That's it for Foreign Policy Playlist. If you like what you heard, please follow us. And if you want to suggest a great podcast, you can email us at podcasts at foreignpolicy.com. This show is produced by Maria Jimena Aragon, Rosie Julin, and Rob Sachs. I'm Laura Rossbrow-Tellum. Thank you so much for listening. Till next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris, and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about, you lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation <laughs> sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. <laughs> and Seth Rogen. <laughs> so if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>